Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the James McDonald Podcast, where we say love to live to love. That's our focus, that's our passion, and we invite you to let God's Word have that impact in your life right now. Here's Pastor James. We're starting a new series uh, called um, Finally Free. And if you know what it is, as I know what it is, to long to be free from things, long to be free from my past, long to be free from the shame I feel over my failures, long to be free from certain patterns of relating to things, long to be free from the crutches of choice that I have turned to that have held me up maybe only momentarily, but not in any long-term way. And then the belief that I was being held up, but then the harder crash because I thought I was going to be okay. And you know, one of the joys of teaching here at Rock Bottom is, is I can just see it in people's faces that they get it that they get it. The hardest thing in teaching is to teach people to think they don't need anything. And I've never felt that here. I've always felt that there were humble hearts and receptive hearts. And I applaud you for that. Um, I'm going to be in John chapter 8. But before I go into that, the next book in the New Testament is Acts. And I want to show you one amazing verse. Then we'll go to John 8. I won't have you turning again. So if you take the time to turn, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. That'd be almost halfway through the New Testament by the time you get to Acts 13. And in Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul, who, I wonder if we had a trivia test here, everybody put together what they learned at school, where they heard from a grandparent or an uncle, how much uh, knowledge is in this room about the Apostle Paul. The one thing that uh, you need to know is, is that he was a God-hater. In Acts chapter 13, One, the beginning of the church, Jesus Christ came, died, rose from the dead, went back to heaven, left the job to the apostles. Acts 1, he ascends into heaven. Acts 2 through Acts 9, the arch enemy of the church is this guy named Saul. Saul. And he was going around dragging people out of houses, dragging Christians into prison. It was a threat to Judaism. He was killing Christians, murdering Christians. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen one of the apostles is stoned to death, and Paul, Saul was his name then. He's standing there holding the coats, okay? So not a good guy. And um, on, in Acts chapter 9, he's traveling to Damascus, which if you've ever been, is just across the Jordan River over into Syria. Damascus is the capital of Syria still today. And Jesus Christ appears to Saul on a road, and he says, Saul, Saul! Why are you persecuting me? Which is really interesting because he wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting Jesus' followers. But that should be encouraging to some of us because when you're attacking God's servants, you're attacking God. When you're attacking the Lord's servants, you're attacking the Lord. He takes it very personally. How personally would you take it if someone was attacking one of your children? How many people think Bobby could handle it if somebody was attacking his daughter? I think Bobby would be able to get out of bed for that fast, right? But Jesus Christ, he made you like this. You don't think he feels something when his servants, his children are being attacked? He does. So he appeared to, and he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he appeared to him as a light and he went blind and finally he received his sight and bottom line, he was ultimately converted and they changed his name to Paul and he became the most massive servant of the Lord in the church. Never think that where you are on the road now is where you're going to finish. All right? God wants to encounter you. God wants to show up in your life in a way more powerful than you've ever known before. And God wants to give you a new name and set you on a new road. 
So I want to begin with this thought from this sermon that Paul was preaching. I told you it was just one verse, and here it is. I'll start in verse 36, but the verse is verse 37. For David, after he had heard the purpose of God in his own generation, Acts 13, 36, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up, that's Jesus, did not see corruption. Here it is. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus Christ, for that was actually a really good spot to fill in the blanks. So I'll read it again, and when I pause, everyone say, Jesus Christ, ready? Paul's preaching, and he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, say it, everyone who believes is freed from everything. Everyone who believes is freed from everything. Now, because I like to mess with people, I won't do it here, but I preached on that verse before, and when I did, I said, everybody get out a pen. I want to make a list of the things that Jesus Christ does not free people from. Everybody got your pen ready? We're going to make a list now of the things. It's unbelievable how many of you would take out a pen and say, we're ready. What's the list? I was like, did you just hear the verse? Put your pen away. <laughs> By him, everyone who believes is freed from, last word, everything. everything. Say it again, from everything. from everything. Not all at once, not immediately, but entirely. And so this is the first point in the first message in the new series, Finally Free. This message is called First Steps. And I just want to lay down some basic concepts. And I want to ask you for permission. I know that many of you are involved in AA. I know that many of you teach uh, seminars and different instructions for people in the context of AA. I have total respect for it. I'm giving a lot of my time and energy and resources to help people get that. So everyone say he's for it. But I want to just challenge slightly a couple of the components not to eliminate them not to eliminate them, but I just want to sharpen the focus of them a little bit, if I could. I've been teaching God's Word for over 40 years. The primary theme of my life in ministry and the books that I've written is about change and how people change and what is effective in changing and what is not effective in changing. So jot this down based on Acts 13, 39. Here's the first thing tonight. Only Jesus Christ can set people free. So what did I ask? I asked you to think about it. I don't think it's loving or caring. I've really appreciated getting to know you, Johnny. I don't think it's loving or caring for me to jam that on you in a way that you feel like, oh gosh, we have a problem now. If I don't agree with what he's saying, we, have a, we don't have a problem. You're giving me the grace of saying what I believe is true. And I'm giving you the grace to consider it. And I want you to consider it. And I pray that God himself will help you to consider it. I've been trying to help people for a long time to get to that sentence. I do not believe that you have within yourself the ability to get healthy in a lasting way, stop cussing every other sentence, get your finances under control, 
live free from addiction. I don't believe that we have in ourselves the ability to do that. And that's why um, step one in AA, somebody got step one for me? Who's got step one? Bryce, you think you can say it perfect? Yes, I can. Uh, you say you can, but I'm not, we're going to see. Admit that we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. Thank you for that. Did you get it right? Anybody want to change a word? No. You got it right. Okay. I think that's a really, really awesome, awesome admission. If you really, truly are at the place in your life where you're saying what I'm saying, I don't have within me the power to affect the change that I desperately need. I have done an inventory through the warehouse of my assets and I never opened a box full of the strength that I need to do this. That box is not in this warehouse. And if it isn't in the warehouse, where is the strength gonna come from? And this is where I have something to think about. Number two, step number two. I'm not gonna make you say it, but do you have it? Who's got number two? Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I don't have any problem with that at all. I believe that the God who created the universe is the power greater than ourselves. The problem is, is that AA and their sincere, if you know some of the history, in their sincere and genuine desire to help people live free from addiction, they spread the net as widely as they could and they, I think appropriately for them, that's not us, but for them, I understand why they do that. But use the mind that God's given you and think for a second, remember this teaching isn't just for us in this room, but by God's grace, it goes online, it goes all over the world. Use the mind that God's given you to assess the problem with God as we came to know him. I mean, if you came to know the one true God, that would be really awesome. But if you have bought into the lie that all roads lead to God, which by the way, just makes absolutely no sense. I mean, all roads don't lead to downtown Elgin. All roads don't lead to Cincinnati. You can't start out in any direction and get to Mexico City, true or false. Why would all roads lead to God? How could that even make sense? All recipes don't lead to ice cream, right? Can you think of anything in the universe where all variants produce the same result? What it's really conceding is this. It's conceding that God is a figment of our imagining. And so at that point, it really doesn't matter what you imagine as long as you imagine something. And by the way, if we admit that we are powerless, leaning on a God, a God, generic, um, would be better than doing nothing. It would assist our understanding that we don't have
the resources within ourselves, but I made a little list, maybe jot these down. The problem with not naming the higher power, one, if it's a mind game, any higher power will do, right? My higher power is named Fred. I always liked the name Fred. I had a Fred named, kid named Fred when I was a friend named Fred when I was a kid. I mean, surely I can't just make it up. The problem with not naming the higher power is, I mean, it's really good in terms of sitting in a group of people that believe a lot of different things, isn't it? Because then you just don't really have to. And I think that's awesome. I don't want to be hard on anyone who believes differently. But if I actually need power from this deity, then it can't be something that I'm making up. It has to be someone that exists external to me, which leads to the next thing. If it's real, its terms must be met. Now remind me of your first name. Jacob. Jacob? Um, would it be fair to say that I can't have a relationship with you anytime, anywhere, any way I want? Okay, I know I can though. I'm gonna come over to the, you live in the house right here? Yeah. I'm coming over tonight. Okay. Don't, ask, don't ask me when. Okay. I'm coming when I wanna come. And when I get here, we're gonna do something, but I can't, I'm not gonna tell you now what we're gonna do, but okay. I'm taking them bowling in the middle of the night. <laughs> and, and I mean, it's, it's ludicrous, it's insane. The reason people are laughing is because it's silly. Everyone say it's silly. It's silly. silly. So if I can't presumptuously enter into a new relationship with another human being who is just like me, why would I think that I can enter into a lasting relationship with the God of the universe to access his power over the things that have been dragging me down without finding what, out what his terms are for that relationship? If, if God is just something that I'm making up, then I can make up how I relate to him too. But if God is actually a real being who can really resource and turbo my freedom and my victory, then I have to come to him on his terms. I have to find out what those terms actually are. Additionally, if it's real, it must be exclusive. There's no philosophical basis for polytheism. Polytheism uh, flourished in the parts of the world during the centuries when people were the least developed intellectually. When they sat in the dirt, maybe by fires, and had no written language, and they imagined that God was in the rocks and the trees and the animals and the things that they didn't understand at all. That's where polytheism comes from. Most people would agree philosophically that either there is a God or there isn't. There aren't many of them. If Islam is true, Jesus Christ is a liar. And if Jesus Christ is true, then Islam and its militants is the very opposite of that message. Now you can go to AA and have some guy who's leaning on Islam and some guy who's leaning on Christ. I'm not saying that isn't a good thing. I'm glad people are getting the help they need. But if you really want the help, 
There's only one of those gods who is actually resourcing people, and you need to put a little bit of your intellectual horsepower behind deciding which one it is. I mean, anybody here ever needed, hands up if you've ever needed the help. I mean, I can't afford to be praying to somebody who's not listening because they're not there, because they're not real. And that leads to the last thing. If the higher power is real, then it can't be coerced. Tell me your first name. John. Two handsome guys, front chairs. Way to go, guys. John, you, Laura, you too, cannot be coerced. You can be influenced. You can be influenced. But God is a significant part of your life, cannot be coerced. And do you know why? Because that's not the universe that God himself made. God made a universe where he painted in the skies and in the mountainscapes and in the oceans and in the animal kingdom and in the stars moving in space in a galactic choreography that staggers the mind. God made all of that, the Bible says, to shout his own existence. The heavens declare the glory of God. And all that God made is saying, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in our hearts that on our bed alone at night and can't sleep, we think to ourselves, there has to be more than this. My heart can't just be beating for the pleasure I can give this life. There has to be something more. And God created us with that longing inside to know Him. Now, if God appeared in this room right now, what would happen after that? we would all be incinerated. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, that no one can see God and live, that God is a consuming fire, the scripture says. Anyone who made contact with God interpersonally like that in the scriptures on rare occasions, they, John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I fell at his feet as though dead. In Revelation one, in Isaiah six, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And he goes on to say that, and I said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the Lord. To have any real contact with God is to have an immense sense of unworthiness. And if God were to show up in all of his power right here, I promise you, you would kneel. I promise you, you would. And so, do you understand that coerced affection is not meaningful? Again, if I came by tonight and said, hey, let's go hang out a little bit, and then we got in the car, I felt just impatient. I was gonna take you bowling and everything, but bottom line is, I just wanna know we're friends. And I pulled out a gun and I said, tell me you love me. <laughs> tell me, would, would you say it? You would say it. But you would you'd say it. If you didn't, I'd fire off a gun through the roof. Then you'd say it, but what would it mean? How meaningful would it be? Come on. Vote. How meaningful would it be, Ray? How meaningful would it be? A lot or not? Not, right? It would not be meaningful because coerced relationship is not meaningful. That is the reason why we don't require the men in our houses to come to Bible study. 
We try to love them, we try to encourage them, we try to work with them, we try to understand them, we try to invite them, we try to make a nice place, we're gonna have ice cream afterwards, we do all the things we can to make it welcoming. But at the end of the day, we can only invite you to the power that we have experienced. We cannot force you to it. Bobby might have forced some people today. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying, don't you? That we know that in the long term, God has to move in your heart. And you have to go from generic AA God to specific real God that exists. And that's why I wanted you to turn to John chapter 8. And then I'm going to go through that and we're done. And thank you for your wonderful listening. We're going to be working on uh, freedom here for a few weeks now in a row. While you're turning there, let me give you a little purpose statement that I've worked up for the, uh, you live in one of our houses, right? Yeah, so I didn't have this. We're actually going to get together and we're going to be recording a, um, what do we call it, an orientation seminar. And I'm going to teach and Chuck's going to teach and Bobby's going to teach. And uh, But this is of the ALM purpose statement. The goal of ALM Houses is to assist men at the rock bottom of addiction toward lasting freedom through faith in Christ, that's where the power is, and community with brothers in Christ. That's the second part of the power. Through Christ to me and through Christ in others to me and me to them. So that's what really the goal is for our house. And I, I said that I wanted to go to John 8, but please be patient with me. I made this whole message brand new today. The second part of the verse I wanted to read to you from Acts 13. And do we have it? So go back to the first one, 39a. By him, everyone who believes is freed from everything. We went over that. Now this, from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Does anyone know what the law of Moses is? What? Ten Commandments, somebody said. The Old Testament was actually 614 rules. Then they, That was the written law. Then they made up a whole bunch of other rules called the oral law. So the written law, for example, said you can't work on the Sabbath. But that wasn't enough. So then they had to make up a whole bunch of other rules, like if your house was burning down on the Sabbath, you couldn't carry your stuff out. You had to let it burn because that would be work and that's a bigger problem. Bigger problem to break the Sabbath and have your house burned down, I guess. So, but they did have a rule that you could be in the house, put on your clothes, run outside, take them off again, run back inside, put more clothes on, run back out because it's okay to get dressed and undressed. That's not work. Everyone does that on the Sabbath. You just can't carry a lot of clothes on the Sabbath. So by the time Jesus came, they had so many crazy rules that that's why he was always in conflict with the Pharisees. Jesus, if you read the gospel, Jesus is always fighting with them all the time. He's like, well, what about this? You know, and he was walking through the field on a Sunday and he picked a little bit of grain off of a, a stalk of wheat. And they're like, you're working on your harvesting. That's work. You're not supposed to be doing that. And he, Jesus said, was, was the Sabbath made for man or was man made for the Sabbath? And they just had taken everything to such an extreme. And if you've ever been around religious people, I, I did my time. If you've ever been around religious people, that's what they are all about. You don't look right. You don't stand right. You don't talk right. You don't. And I'm just telling you, I spent my whole life fighting that. And I'm so done with it. And you look awesome the way you are. 
And God's not, God, man looks on the outward appearance. The scripture says, God looks on the, do you know, say it. God looks on your heart. God's looking at your heart. God's not judging you or you or you or you or how you're dressed or whatever. God receives, God loves, God welcomes. And I got to say for me, in case you didn't get this, this is not a talk about go to church. You're never going to hear that from me. And I don't think that going to church is bad, but this isn't church. And I think sometimes church is about people looking apart and playing apart. And I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but if you ever got hurt by church, so where it kind of turned you off God, I have the first part for sure. I'm not turned off God at all, but I'm really, really turned off church. Organized religion, religious people looking apart. And what I'm talking about here has nothing to do with that. I'm talking about a genuine, personal, powering relationship with the Lord. And the reason why it says the law of Moses, we can't be free is because, make a note of this, rules and structures alone don't set people free. Now, we've been doing this, Bobby, for how long now? We started really filling guys in the house in April of 22. And now it's getting to the end of August, Chuck, of 23. Now, how many guys, some of you know it too, some of you guys have been around here for a while. Rich, you know this for sure. How many guys have we seen come and go? And they were as committed to sobriety as we are, and they just fell flat on their face, and I have no judgment of them at all, and I hope we get a chance to keep loving them. I'm not going to say any names, and if you fall, we're never going to say something bad about you. But... You can't watch the parade that I've been watching for the last 15 months and not know that it's just not a matter of here's the structure, here's the rules, and you got to take the drug test, and you got to be on the app, and you got to do all this stuff. Structure by itself is not enough, y'all, and you feel it in your heart. When the structure goes, I'm going to fall. And we've seen some of the best people just fall when the structure was taken away. So there has to be, we have to be able to have an open conversation about where the power is. Without the power, you're going to fail. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. Not forever. Not forever. Not once it's in you. I'm going to show you a little story about that in a minute. But that's what I think it means when it says, back to that 39B, please. You freeze you from everything, he says to them, from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Now I'm ready for John chapter 8. Thank you for your patient listening. I'm very excited to show you this passage. John chapter 8, Jesus had been preaching. There was a story in the beginning about the woman caught in adultery. Little Bible survey here. Anybody know the story about the woman caught in adultery? You know that? So there's this lady, she's sleeping with this guy. The Pharisees, the big religious people, they go drag her out. She covered herself with a sheet. You know, men twice her age, like her father's age, and he, they dragged this woman. They said, we caught her in the very act. How graphic is that? So they drag her out there, and they put her up in front of Jesus, and they're like, what's up now? What do you say about her? And they're all freaking out because they think he's going to really have to take this woman down. I mean, I know what the Bible says. There are these freaking Bible thumpers, right? Down with Bible thumpers down with Bible thumpers. In Jesus' name, amen. And they were pounding this lady, and Jesus didn't say nothing. He squatted down and he wrote in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. Maybe he wrote, idiots. <laughs> we don't really know what he wrote. But this is really interesting. Then Jesus looked at them all and he said, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. Because that's what he said to her. We caught this woman in the act of adultery. The Old Testament says to stone her. What do you say? And Jesus said, well, 
How about the guy who has no sin can throw the first rock? You know what the Bible says? Right here in John 8, I had you turn there. It says, from the oldest to the youngest, they drop the rocks. Why do you think the oldest people drop the rocks first? Because the older you get, the more you realize how not together you are and how you have less and less energy to be hard on anyone else. I was talking to a brother before the session tonight about some people that have really hurt me, and I just said I don't feel to be hard on anyone other than maybe a few people that were very intentionally wrong, but for everyone else, just grace, just grace. Because the older you get, the less you want to pick up rocks toward anyone. Do you remember when you were young, how you were so sure about so much? Have you heard the phrase, the older I get, the more I realize how little I knew when I knew it all? So rules and structures alone cannot set people free. Then notice this, intellectual assent to Christ does not set people free. And now I'm in the John 8 passage. Here it is. As he was saying these things about the woman caught in adultery and about I am the light of the world, as he was saying these things, it says, many believed in him. This is about to catch you. I'm about to catch you right now. You're comfortable enough. I'm about to get you right now. So brace yourself. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, the religious leaders, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How many people have heard the phrase, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free? Hands up if you've heard that phrase in your life. It's everywhere. People are talking about it all the time. Uh, Martin Luther King, you'll know the truth, free at last. It's just it's everywhere in the culture. You're watching movies and you'll hear somebody say, free at last, or the truth will set you free. But, you know, like with a lot of things, Bible fragments are dangerous. What Jesus actually said is, if you abide in my word, and my words abide in you. Abide means to remain. You could actually translate the word remain. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now this is really, really interesting what happens because a lot of people have only given an intellectual assent to Jesus. They haven't actually believed in him. Now, I'm not gonna do a personal survey and I don't wanna undress you emotionally or spiritually, but let me just say lovingly from my heart, there's probably quite a few people in here who have given an intellectual assent to Jesus, but don't really know him. So when I start talking about the power that Jesus Christ can bring, you're like, eh, eh, been there, done that. Didn't find it all that powerful. Because you didn't really believe. You said a prayer, you signed a card, you raised a hand, you conceded a point to someone. But Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, it's a much more serious thing. And so I'm gonna use an illustration. The best illustration I've ever heard of this is uh, this guy named uh, Blondin. Do you know who that is? Say, no, I do not. <laughs> this is a guy who, uh, Kathy and I is here, Kathy and my wife's here. We grew up near Niagara Falls. We used to go on some of our best, you know, young uh, dates and events to Niagara Falls. This is actually um, a hemp rope, two inches thick, 
stretched across Niagara Falls. This guy, um, Blondin from France, was one of these in the 1850s. That's a long time ago. It's going to be 200 years ago. He would walk across. He was famous for this. So he came to Niagara Falls. He stretched this thing across. Well, there, wasn't, there was no TV then. There was no radio then. There wasn't a lot going on. They'd have 25, 50,000 people, uh, both on the American side and the Canadian side, would gather around these falls to watch this guy. I mean, this might be the most, if he falls, I mean, that might be the most awesome thing I see in my entire life. <laughs> so everyone was turning out. People were betting, would he fall? He, didn't, he was famous for saying that he did not put a net at the bottom because he felt that uh, preparing for, the, for disaster um, caused disaster to be more likely. You know, I don't want to walk on this rope like there's a net. I want to walk on this rope like there's no net. So he never had a net. His death would have been certain if he fell. Not only did he do this, but then he announced to the people he'd be back in a week and he was going to take somebody across in a wheelbarrow. True, this is true. Fact of history, you can look it up online. It's on his Wikipedia page. I'm going to come back. I'm going to take somebody across in a wheelbarrow. But the problem was, can you guess what the problem was? Couldn't get nobody to go in the wheelbarrow. And so Saturday morning came. Everyone's expecting this. I got me. I got the rope. I got the wheelbarrow. I got the crowd. He walks into a local restaurant. And guys got his, because they were all betting on it, right? Betting, betting. I'll bet you 100 bucks. I'll bet you whatever they were betting and whatever the amount was. I'll bet you. The story is, is that... He walked into the restaurant and he heard someone. He, he walked in and he was looking at them. They didn't see him coming because their back was turned to him. And he said, I'll bet you $1,000 that he can do it. And Blondin walks up, puts his hand on his shoulder and says, I am so glad to hear you say that because I need someone to get what? In the wheelbarrow. Do you have a picture of the wheelbarrow? Yeah, I did have one. You can see it on the Wikipedia page. You can actually see him with the wheelbarrow and everything like this. Question, did the guy get in the wheelbarrow? No. Who says he got in? We'll just, whatever, he we'll just in. vote. Majority wins. Did he get in? Did he not get in? He got in. He did not get in. Why not? He did not get in because he did not really believe that he could do it. Now, when the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's saying, get in the wheelbarrow. Stake your entire life and future and eternity upon the truthfulness of Christ's claims to offer salvation freely to all who believe. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But you got to put all your eggs in that basket, yo. You got to be like, this is my thing now. This is my power. Not some generic, I made him up in my basement or at a meeting in downtown Elgin Power, but Jesus Christ who came into this world and lived a perfect life and died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins before a holy God and rose from the dead to prove that he's God. That's the God that's changed my life. That's the God that has caused my wife and I and our team and our partners here, despite all the things that we've been through and all the things that we've suffered, I only have a few years left and I'm not going to stop serving this great power that I have experienced personally.
I mean, of course, we're going to keep on serving the Lord. If you know anything about me at all, you know that we're never going to turn our back on the Lord. Because why? Because he has made good on his promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. I finished up this message uh, teaching to the people who attend here at Rock Bottom and I gave a gospel presentation and led people in a sinner's prayer, but I wanted to conclude this teaching, the first in our uh, series, Finally Free, with a direct message to the people who tune in online or pick this up on our website or on our YouTube uh, page. And I just wanted to say to you personally that um, I know it's not always easy for everyone to hear the gospel. I think I understood that conceptually uh, for a long time, but I understand it personally now, both uh, in my own life and in the people that we uh, minister to here. I never would have said this before, but you know, a lot of people have what I would refer to as God trauma. And the sad part is, is the trauma didn't really come from God, did it? It came from people who said things and did things in the name of God that any thinking person would know the Lord would never do. And everybody who says God told me to do this isn't necessarily representing the God who made this wonderful world that we all live in. And so I just wanna say that if God is a hard concept for you, if proximity to God is a difficult thing for you, we have the joy of working every single day with people who are just trying to hold it together, just trying to live free from addiction for another day. And that kind of desperation leads you to the need for God. But so often those are the very people that have had terrible, awful experiences at church and with Christians. And I really have a heart of compassion for all of that. And if you've been wounded by Christians, then I'm just gonna give to you what's been given to me. And that is that when we're wounded by others that name the Lord's name, you know, we can be like Peter, you know, strong, filled with faith, out of the boat, walking to Jesus, and all of a sudden we see the wind and the waves and we hear the other people and, you know, what happens? We take our eyes off the Lord and we go straight down. And uh, that's no place to be, that's no place to live. And if you need to return to the Lord, because he is awesome and he's everything that he promised to be. If you need to make a first time commitment to the Lord now because he does love you in spite of those that have hurt you, in spite of the things that have happened in your life that you so wish could be different, God can make them different through faith in Christ. So I'd like to just take a moment and pray for you uh, before I close. Can I just pray for you right now? Father, we come to you in the strong name of Jesus, and I pray for people who are hearing this teaching about being free, whom the Son sets free is free indeed, finally free, and we're made for freedom. We long for freedom. No one is created to live in bondage, but like those Jewish people of old, so often we are blind to our own bondage. And so God, I pray for those who are just coming to realize that life has been less because God has not been more. We have no judgment of them for we've lived the same place and walked the same steps. But I just pray God that you would bring these people back to yourself. For those who have never made a commitment to Christ, might they in this moment right now turn from sin and embrace Jesus by faith for their forgiveness. Thank you for the promise that he who comes to you, you will under no circumstances send away. And though we feel unworthy of your love and unworthy of your salvation, we thank you, Father, that it is not of our own merit. 
It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to your mercy you have saved us. And so I, by faith, believe that some are praying to receive you now, and we rejoice in that. As heaven rejoices, not over 99 people who don't think they need anything, but over that one, the one sinner who repents. Thank you that we are that person. Thank you that others can make that choice now. For others who do know you, Father, but have drifted from you with a wounded heart, a grieved heart, I pray, God, that you would restore them, that you would draw them back um, with your loving kindness, which is better than life. We thank you that your love always pursues us, and so often we have been Jonah, but we thank you, God, that your love always pursues us and restores us. And so I pray for some right now who are turning to you afresh, bowing the knee of submission in a new way, determining with all their heart to walk with you in obedience to you, in relationship with you. This is what we desire. And we pray that you would grant this to every willing heart. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. Hey, it's our privilege to bring God's Word to you on a weekly basis here at James McDonald Ministries. Sorry for the name, but that's the guy, so the name, you know, not what I would have preferred, but we're so uh, grateful for the chance to walk in God's Word with you and to lead you on a weekly basis. Uh, be sure to share this message with others. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your gifts of financial support. As long as God gives us breath, we're going to be here, and hopefully uh, we'll continue to be, by God's grace, a reliable source of spiritual nourishment for you and for those you love. Okay? You are loved. We'll see you again soon. So I hope that you've been really encouraged today through this clear teaching from God's Word. I just want to thank you from the whole team for listening to the James McDonald podcast, where the learning is for loving, loving God and for loving others more and more until we see him face to face. Thank you for standing with us. Your prayerful support is our lifeline to continue this gospel partnership, and it makes podcasts like these possible. If you're not part of a vibrant, life-giving gospel church, check out this new alternative. It's called the Home Church Network. You can get it at homechurchnetwork.global. All the ministry information, Bible teaching, and and resources are there, and also at jamesmcdonaldministries.org. Hey, thank you again for listening.